This episode of Walter Edgar's Journal is an encore of a previously broadcast program. Welcome to Walter Edgar's Journal. With me in the Scanner studio today is Ron Long, who's president of Charleston Hall Auctions here in Columbia, and on the telephone from her offices at Christie's Auctions in New York City is Columbia native Kelly Belser, and we're going to talk about the art and antique market in the 21st century. So first of all, Kelly and Ron, welcome to the journal. Thank you. Nice to be here. Thank you. Kelly, let's mm-hmm. l- let's start with you with a little bit of background. You grew up here sure. in Columbia. How did you end up working for Christie's in New York? You know, it was a matter of just pursuing good opportunities, I think. I lived up in New York um, the summer between my junior and senior years of college just because I thought it would be fun and a great experience to see something new and different. And I ended up really enjoying my internship that I had at Christie's and pursuing a job there after I graduated. And then 11 years later, here I am still here as a specialist. And um, I did leave for a little bit and went back to school and got a master's degree so that I, because I hadn't studied art history in college. Um, and so it's a little bit more formal training. But I really, there's a lot to experience um, working up here in the auction world, and um, one thing led to another, and I've had a very rich experience. Well, you, when you went to England, and you did go to England for your further study in the decorative yes, arts, that's right? right. And English, you, yes, in London. And you studied 18th and 19th century English and American decorative arts? I, uh, the program um, was, is through the Christie's Education Program, and it was a fine and decorative arts program, so it, it was everything from the Renaissance to the present day, um, and fine and decorative art. So it was a a cultural program as well. Um, So it covered quite a bit. And because it covered sort of everything ever produced, um, you were able to tailor your uh, study to, you know, in my instance, the decorative arts. Um, There wasn't much discussion of American decorative art because that's a a much more specialized area that um, it just focused on the London production and then Paris and continental Europe, mm-hmm. um, focusing on the houses of Europe, the royal houses, in a certain sense. So. Okay. And, mm-hmm. Ron, you have been at Charlton Hall Auctions for a long time. That's why you got so much white hair. That's correct. Moses brought me over when I came. <laughs> for what, 35 years? 30? 38 years ago. And the auction world has, has changed over those 38 years. But hasn't it been more dramatic in the last 10? Yeah, it's been a revolution, I would say, in the last 10 to 15 years uh, with the advent of online bidding. Okay, well, let's talk, both of you. Callie, you're now dealing with 20th century decorative arts, is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Okay. Mm-hmm. There have been articles in the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal, locally, things like the true value of priceless antiques, and then you find out that grandmother's Haviland China really is not what you thought it was, and that wonderful, beautiful, huge mahogany break front that's 12 feet long and 9 feet tall, nobody wants to buy stuff like that anymore. Ron, let you go first in terms of dealing with large pieces. Your Southern Auction House, you get estates that have really fine case furniture, as they call it, bureaus, chests of drawers, high boys, sideboards. Well, it's certainly true with furniture, and the bigger the piece of furniture, sometimes the the more difficulty you're going to have in selling it. But it's running, that whole thread runs through our whole industry now. Uh, You know, yes, the big pieces are difficult to deal with, but you're also, with even smaller things that used to be very popular are not anymore. And, uh, well, for instance, um, porcelain. Uh, it used to be, I mean, I walked in a house full of porcelain. And I, well, I, if it was English or French porcelain, I, I was, you know, boy, we're going to have wonderful stuff. You know, old Paris porcelain urns that used to bring a fortune today just don't do that because the interest apparently doesn't lie there. And I don't see it happening anywhere. We look at the same records that um, most all of the auction houses in the world look at when they're pricing stuff in it, it, the decline has been significant, at least in my opinion. And, and silver? Uh, silver is dropping also. Um, uh, it's just a general decline in interest is, is what I see. It would be interesting to see Callie's take on that because she's up at where the international marketplace is. Uh, uh, so uh, it would be interesting to see what she's experienced. Yeah. All right, Callie? 
you could be taking the words out of my mouth. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's the same um, that we see up here. I, we obviously, just like you, Ron, love old things and the history with them and how much it brings to your life when you live with them. But I think it's because of the cultural shifts in the world with how I mean, at least in New York, we talk about how fast-paced life is, and at least in New York, all the apartments are kind of small, um, and how the Internet's taken over, and how people you know, don't necessarily want an auction catalog. They want to look at it online. There's just a real shift in the day-to-day, at least that we see up here, and my colleagues up here who've been in the business longer than I have um, see it as well, and it's a matter of kind of keeping up with that. Um, but I think because of the changes in lifestyles, it's meant that large case pieces or silver, you know, whether they take up too much room or they require, they were perceived to require more maintenance than the alternative. Um, I think it, it makes it harder for people to get to be engaged um, at, at the early stages of collecting for the, the newer, younger generation that would be coming along now. I think it's sad. I mean, I, what drew me to this business was, for lack of a better term, I will say the romance of it. It, uh, I mean, you, you really kind of fell in love with the stuff, and uh, it, it meant you traveled, you looked. And today, people, I mean, people, to go on the Internet, and, and I love it because it's helped my business, but to go on the Internet and buy something you've never touched or felt, it's just amazing to me. I mean, I'm thankful for it, but then on the other hand, I don't understand it. I mean, I just don't, you know, it used to be you, you wanted to touch and feel and hold it and nowadays that seems to be less but, of that. But still there's, there's, a, there's also I think a caveat about unless you're buying from a known house Christie's or Charlton Hall or the other big houses you got to be careful what you buy on the internet. Mm-hmm. There is one of the rare and I think you had one at your last auction Ron Charleston slave tags which were issued during the period before the Civil War had to actually free persons of color had to have them as well. Those are very, very rare. Well, for a while, about eight or ten years ago, people were selling slave tags from New Orleans. From They're counterfeit. Yes. It, they were not issuing tags to free persons of color and slaves in New Orleans and Mobile and Savannah. They only came from tri- – and you got to be careful. There are fake Charleston ones on the market. Yeah, there are counterfeit secretaries. There's counterfeit silver pictures. There's counterfeit everything. If it's ever been worth the money, it's counterfeit. Kelly, why don't you talk about some of the, you know, your transition from 18th and 19th centuries to 20th centuries. When you told me about that when we, we talked last last Christmas, mm-hmm. I was a little bit surprised, but but not surprised. But I mean, you grew up in a household where 18th and 19th century porcelain, silver, furniture. I mean, mm-hmm. that's what your mom and dad ha- have. That's what your grandparents right. had. How did you feel about making that transition to the 20th century? Well, um, I had been working exclusively with 18th and 19th century furniture, as you said, for five years. So I was, you know, it's not forever, but it's, it's certainly not a flash in the pan. Um, and it had never occurred to me that, I mean, that's what I wanted to do, and that's what I'd been working towards. Um, and it had not occurred to me to change and move up to the 20th century you know, move, move on up. And I, I've always, you know, loved 20th century things, but as you said, it's not what I grew up with and not what I'm accustomed to and not what I was drawn to when I started working in this field. So when I was first approached about it, my initial reaction was, no, thank you. Um, <laughs> but then, but then, then, you know, I, I sort of kept walking down the street and I was like, wait, that's silly. I should consider this because all I think about, well, not all I think about, but often I think about what's going to happen to the market for 18th and 19th century furniture because of what I've watched um, over time, just, you know, since I started doing this, it's changed dramatically, as Ron said. And I I thought, well, this is actually a good opportunity for me to learn what, learn the period that people seem to be more interested interested in, if they are, in fact, interested in antiques, um, which is the first hurdle, being interested in antiques, which is also used furniture. Um, And... (laughs) So, so it was it was not an obvious thing for me by any stretch of the imagination, but it was as much a practical decision as a new challenge to learn something, um, both a new market because it's it's sort of a different type of um, clientele, it's obviously different materials, different makers, and different concerns about authenticity, um, and different types of resources that you have. You know, when things are not actually that old, they're you know they're 
the artists are still alive, which is very different from the type of connoisseurship training that I'd had for 18th century objects, where that really is layers and layers and layers of training over years and years. Um, so it was just a, it was a new step into the next century, and it was also a step into more opportunities and a slightly more dynamic market where I could learn, continue to learn. Let's just see how how you define 20th century. I mean, you you want to in terms of furniture, does that include mm-hmm. arts and crafts, or is that I mean, that really starts in the 19th, late 9th, but it comes into the 20th century. Mm-hmm. Some of that art modern from, from Europe, mm-hmm. Van der Rohe. Mm-hmm. All, all of that. We start with arts and crafts. Um, but we, there's, there isn't too much of it that we sell in the States. It's, it's more in England because the value of some of that is not as high as Christie's would take it. But, um, but if we do Tiffany lamps, and obviously that is a robust market and very recognizable, but it's very different from the French mid-century furniture aesthetically. But it's you know those are the different hats that I wear, and you know up until things that were produced in 2010 of stainless steel. So it is a fairly wide range of materials and techniques and styles, and obviously I can't be a master of everything. So it's it's a matter of learning, and so it's exciting to have that challenge. Did I just hear you say things manu- are things produced up to 2010? <laughs> yes, <laughs> but that obviously has a the. the expertise for that is very different than a Tiffany lamp because yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a different rule book. So, mm-hmm. I just saw a computer stand for sale at an auction that was mm-hmm. made in 19, um, I mean in, uh, in 2002 or 2003, a big computer stand. Had a fairly hefty estimate on it. Um, I, I knew nothing about the maker of it uh, and I fell into, into 20th century furniture out of necessity. Nobody offered me a position. I just had to start learning something about it, you know, because it seemed to be where interest was going. And, um, uh, and Walter, you talk about fakes. Well, one of, one of the problems you have with 20th century furniture, they're knockoffs of everything. And, and, and it makes a big difference whether you have uh, an original, um, like a no-made piece of furniture that, that uh, somebody had designed or whether you have a copy of that. And you can go on the Internet and look at it, and there are thousands of pieces of it everywhere. That's what I see. I assume that's what you see, Callie. And, and no, ab- absolutely. And with, with certain things, with construction methods that are fairly simple and you know, not produced out of very precious woods or what yeah. have you, you know, you really have to have the direct provenance back to the studio with certain things because otherwise there's reasonable doubt that it's not. Um, For for certain things, you just have to prove it. Um, And if you can't prove it, it's it's unfortunate. Yeah, we want the the bill of sale if we can get it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the things that I mentioned that were produced much later, um, like the things from 2010 and what have you, it's part of the design that's come up, which is the blurring of fine art and decorative art. Are artists that are producing functional pieces of furniture that are also works of art, so they're very sculptural, and you know, it's it's, it's, it's that's a whole different category in its own. <laughs> um, and I, I don't expect that there's much of that probably down in South Carolina. It's a real, um, I feel like it's a real New York thing, but in London and the international market. But just to well, clarify a little bit, it's not it's not a piece of furniture you would have a cup of coffee in. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's not what it's like. Uh, you remember the chair, and I don't remember who did it, but it was a, the shape of Marilyn Monroe's lips. It was a sofa, <laughs> and uh, yeah. well, I mean, you know, and we do see that stuff show up from time to time. We we don't get a lot of it, but but uh, mm-hmm. at least I have now the ability to recognize some of it, and uh, I've almost developed the sense that if I look at something in a painting or a piece of furniture and I think it's ugly, it could be worth money. I know so it's worth that, investigating. That, that's, <laughs> yes, that's what I see. And Ron, the porcelain. You mentioned the porcelain. My great aunt collected mice and, and Paris and. All of that stuff. I just wish when she'd been in France, she collected Impressionists instead. Yes, <laughs> but, that would have been <laughs> in the 1920s. But that, and, you know, she, she was still collecting semi-Victorian. I mean, that was still a semi-Victorian period. In 1910, she could have maybe bought uh, an Impressionist painting for what she paid for that porcelain. It's worthless today. <laughs> One of the shows that we watch pretty regularly is is the Antiques Roadshow. Not so much for the contemporary things because they always everybody's either trash or treasure. It's in the summer when they do the evergreens and they run a show from, say, 1992 and say this was worth such and such, and today's market it's worth, you yes. know. And if it's a case piece, it's generally, or silver, unless it's, 
if it's a really signature Tiffany's piece, for example, it's probably still going to have some market value. But flatware, even just serving pieces made by by Tiffany's or Gorham or some of those older, it's just going for the value of the silver. Yeah, Callie, what, what do you what do you think's driving the market, uh, like of, of art glass, of Tiffany uh, lights and all? Because there's still a big interest in that, whereas mm-hmm. a, a good piece of Tiffany silver, I mean, there's interest, but not nearly the interest that you find in art glass. I think it's hard to pinpoint it exactly, but I, my feeling is that it's because Tiffany art glass and Tiffany windows and Tiffany lamps are, the, the market is still very much a collector's market, and mm-hmm. it's not a decorating market. And it's not a lifestyle market in the sense that silver it can, is also a lifestyle choice and about how you want to live your life and right. frame yourself and just like furniture and case pieces and that. But, you know, if you are really passionate and you're a collector of Tiffany lamps, and there are, there are a lot of them, and you're just very active in the market. And so it, does that make sense that it's yes. more of a collector-driven area than other areas of the decorative arts where but there are collecting areas within each of them like there are silver collectors yes. there you know they they exist everywhere and if you have but, the rarest I mean, of the rare you can still sell it exactly yeah. exactly all of yes exactly um and I, I must admit that my exposure to the tiffany market is only a year old so I, I certainly don't know all the ins and outs but i was struck when i started working with it more closely that it, it, there really is a very strong, active community, and it's also concentrated to a certain extent in New York. It's not something that we do in London or in our Paris sale rooms for obvious reasons. Um, and there's there's strong dealers in, in New York City, and there's an active community. And there are pieces, obviously, all over the country because people have inherited them from as from their families, and they've moved across the country or moved to South America or moved to wherever. Um, so it's everywhere, but it seems to have a real New York focus, which I think has helped the core of the collecting community so strong. All right. Callie, you mentioned Christie's other two locations in Paris and, mm-hmm. and in London. Mm-hmm. But in France, was that not a, a similar Art Nouveau production of glass and bronze mm-hmm. and, and that sort of thing as mm-hmm. Tiffany? And how mm-hmm. are the European markets in those holding up? Um, we also have sale rooms, lots of other places, too. Those are just the two that I mentioned where my area has sales. Those, you know, Dome and Galley Glass and all the other, you know, the Majorelle Furniture and all, and all of that, that I think has a global appeal where, you know, things will probably do equally as well in New York as they would in Paris or in London, with the exception of if you have an exceptional group that is a large group that, you know, we'll think about where the best place to sell it would be. But it's a very different group of people that are looking at it, but um, I mean, it's sort of. I mean, I wouldn't say it's Art Nouveau is not really um, as in fashion as it was, you know, maybe 15 or 25 years ago. I don't know, Ron, if you would agree with that. I don't know. Yeah, I'm trying to think of what what um, is in fashion now that was in fashion 15 or 25 yeah. years ago. Um, I mean, we, we we do sell Art Nouveau furniture and art glass, and there's a steady stream of it. We just can't put too much of it in our sales. So, I know young people. And Callie, I know you do as well, who may get their tr- traditional set of flatware, and it seldom appears they're all, they're using stainless steel instead most of the time. Yeah, that, that I seems mean, to it, be the trend uh, because it's easier and life is busy, or you know that's what the perception is. So. Oh. Yeah, I think but, life is busier because we have all this mechanical stuff to help us now, and technology, and it's not slowed our life down; it's sped it up. And um, and that may have something to do with why people's interest are are not to the things that I would have called come from a more gentle era of time, uh, or at least in my perception it was. Mm-hmm. I didn't live in all of it, so maybe it wasn't. <laughs> I've lived in a good part of it now. <laughs> well, we need to pause for a moment and let our listeners know that this is Walter Edwards' journal, and I'm talking with Callie Belser of Christie's in New York on the telephone and in the studio Ron Long of Charlton Hall Auctions. So you think, Ron, the changing, the fact that people travel, Kelly mentioned that, for example, if you live in New York, apartments are smaller, living spaces are smaller, uh, all of that's had an impact on 
what people are buying at auction these days. That's that's what I believe. I mean, I, I think people, I think that I think in modern day people have travel is so easy, and we're such a mobile society. And like I was talking to you before this program, it, my own personal opinion is that the homes of people from our parents' age. What, they decorated their houses to reflect who they are, and I'm not saying that people don't do that to some degree now, but I just don't think that it, that, that that your home is an important place as it used to be. It's kind of just another point on your on your plan, your itinerary. You, you know, uh, you, you can travel today. You can get on a plane and be in London and, uh, you know, in eight or nine hours, and you can go on to Paris in an hour and then on to Russia. And uh, in the 1960s, you couldn't do that. I mean, people just didn't travel like they do today. And I, I think maybe that mobility has created a sense of, of some sort of, you're not as tied to that home as you used to be. Hence, you don't see it quite the way you used to, and maybe you don't decorate it like you used to. That's just my opinion, yeah. though, and I have no research to, to back that up. Well, that's, that's fine. Kelly, have you got an opinion on that? Um, not what I was thinking about when Ron was speaking, because I think there's, I, I can understand exactly what he means. I think there's also something that we focus on quite a bit and talk a lot about up here, which I bet, Ron, you do as well, is education, because I think there must have been some sort of slight gap in, we, in terms of educating people about the history and why things are the price differential when it looks, especially with 20th century things, where they sort of look, you, you need to kind of understand the story and what makes them special. And so educating people about that, there's a slight disconnect, I guess, is what I'm getting at. Because people are so busy and moving in a lot of different directions and possibly trying to live their life in a slightly different way than they grew up because they live in a different city or what have you. So there are a lot of options out there for how to live your life and how to decorate your home. And are you going to rent forever? Are you going to buy a house? Are you going to have something minimalistic or have something very lush and overstuffed? upholstery. So I don't, I'm not really answering your question, but I think there are um, a lot of different causes or reasons why there's been a little bit of a shift. And, um, I think it's yeah, and, I, and I'm sure we're not smart. I'm not smart enough to figure it all out. There, there are probably people somewhere, there's probably some think tank right now trying to figure out why this is all happening. But it, it, it does, it's, it's affected our business tremendously, you know, and uh, when you have a chest of drawers that used to bring 4000 that nowadays sells for 1000 the business aspect of that is interesting because now you've got to find four of them to sell to make it worth what one was, you know, well, five I want, years ago. I want to get to that point in just a minute, but I was going to share an anecdote from Ron with what you said. I've got a dear friend in Mobile who's my age, and multi-generation family, they live in a wonderful 1840s restored home. She has said that the last line in her obituary is going to be, following the funeral, my children will be having a tag sale. (laughs) She says she's got six children. None of them are interested in generations of furniture. Something that belonged to my great-grandmother or something that Neela inherited from her grandfather that's special, and I think maybe our kids think they're special to a certain extent, but I've got something I inherited that's in the DAR Museum in Mobile because it's simply too big for a modern house. <laughs> I, can't, I can't use it. it was a, it's a Millar at Attaché from New Orleans. It's beautiful. Rosewood marble mirrors. I mean... You, you need to turn that into cash. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, but who who's going to... Well, I don't know. That that could be a problem. Who do you sell it to? Now, Ron, you, you mentioned how the change in tastes have affected the business. Let's just say I call up and say, Mr. Long, I just inherited my great aunt's house down in Savannah, and it's full of all of this wonderful southern... And I'm just going to say stuff because I don't know anything. Do you go out or do you send out your team to look at something before you... We generally like to go look at it. Today we try to get, it's so easy to send photographs today through the email that we try to, to get that. You do, sometimes dealing with older people like myself it's, uh, who are not, who are technically challenged, you, you, it's not always forthcoming, so you have to uh, oftentimes travel there. I'm, I'm going down into Georgia on Monday to look at some things because they're just not, they've sent one or two photographs, but it's very difficult for them to, to, to do that, so we're we're going in to look, and that's what we like to do anyway, because we don't take every 
everything. And I'm sure Callie and those, they, they turn down stuff up probably on a very well, regular basis. Well, I was going to say, you know, I've got, I've got this whole house full of great stuff. Uh, and I might say, well, I know this is a Charleston Pete. You know, it's just like everybody said. They had, everybody had Thomas L. Furniture. Well, nobody today we know owns a proven piece of Thomas L. Furniture. No, but, but they all have it. They all have it. But I've got this house, but you're not, you're not going to take everything in the kitchen sink for auctions. That's not the way you do things. You, no, but we will help you arrange that. So, so there is, we will help you through that process so that you can get it done. We won't take everything from you, but we will help you get all of that accomplished. Yeah, because, you know, you'll find out, well, that Thomas Elf stuff was really Grand Rapids. and Yeah, well, that's an interesting thing that I, and I'm sure Kelly sees more of this probably than I do, but I certainly am faced oftentimes walking into a house with someone who has a bill of sale. Uh, uh, where they bought a very expensive per- piece of furniture. In fact, I'm facing that right now. They bought it in 1989 and bought it from a fairly reputable uh, dealer. And unfortunately, in my opinion, it's not what they say it is. And I, I have a piece of furniture in this upcoming auction that I have that's pictured in, <laughs> in Antiques Magazine uh, in an ad. And um, I told the people, I, I'll be happy to sell it for you, but I can't call it what they called it in that ad. They said, well, what are you going to call it? I said, I don't know. i got to give it a lot of thought <laughs> because it's not what they bought it as, and it's just unfortunate. But they, I assume, Callie, you see a good bit of that. If, mm-hmm. if, yeah. It's tricky. <laughs> yes, and then you end up being the idiot to tell them that, you know, and so <laughs> that, that can become difficult too. Callie, how do people place things with Christie's? Is that part of your job too? It is, yes. Probably similar to, I mean, it's very similar to what Ron was just describing. People will send us pictures or we'll go look at things and we assess if we're the right market because certain things we're not the best place to offer it for sale just because our people are not looking at our auctions for those things or it's the value threshold. It's not, it doesn't meet, you know, so it doesn't make sense um, for us to put it through one of our auctions financially. But we always take a look at everything because even if people have five things and one is the one they think is the best, it could be the fourth picture that's actually the gem. Because tastes have changed and that has become more valuable on the market and what they thought was the gem of the collection has actually come down in value. So we just always take a look at everything as I'm sure Ron does. Okay. Well, Callie, let's talk about, and Ron, what are people looking for in the 20th century? Well, as we've discussed, I mean, mid-century furniture for us, and you know, when I say mid-century, anything from 1900 to 1970, I, I don't think we've gotten into 19. I mean, to 2010 furniture. But thank you for that uh, information. <laughs> I will use that. <laughs> I may call you. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so uh, that that, uh, but that seems to be. Uh, we we certainly have a lot of interest in that when we when we run across it, you know, and. Um, especially from younger people. We, we seem to get interest in them from that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, art is a whole different world, and it's uh, the interest in art. You know, if you have our experiences, old master paintings, and when you look at them, there, there's not a huge interest in that like there used to be. Now, if you got the very finest old master painting that ever existed, yes, it will, it will bring good money. But in general... I mean, you know, it used to be we sold, um, you could just sell decorative art, uh, you know, a, a, ni- a good 19th century English landscape. I mean, God knows everybody wanted one. Now today, um, you have to pray that someone will show up who wants one. <laughs> there might be one exception, Ron, because Southern art is collectible now, good Southern art, 19th century Southern art, uh, even William Walker. But if you had a huddy oil, that's going to bring a nice... It can, yes. It can. There are exceptions to everything. I, yeah. but, but but when you get into English art, if, if you're looking at English landscape paintings, I don't know who... I mean, that's a very difficult market today. And the prices, I, I wouldn't even guess how far they've plummeted, but they have come way down. Art Kelly, that's something that mm-hmm. would have been in your area at one point, 19th century. Well, except I don't do... I have never... Christie's is quite specialized since I've all only done decorative art, so furniture and chandeliers and sconces and that sort of thing. I didn't even do um, porcelain or carpets, even though they were in the sales that I worked on. So in terms of my not my knowledge of the market, you know, Ron probably has a better sense of that and everything that he's been saying 
obviously makes sense with what I have experienced up well, here. Well, he was talking about 19th century English landscapes. The prices of those, the demand for those is just is still falling. Yeah, I mean, speaking generally, that doesn't that doesn't really shock me, but I don't have personal experience with that market. But I think because decorative art in general is very tied to the real estate market and tastes and people setting up new homes and buying new homes and what the taste is that's either, you know, in all the design magazines or what have you. For a while there, it, it was really, there's a real clean aesthetic, you know, not a lot of clutter, muted colors, you know, for instance, cream ground carpets tend to do better than the ones with the real deep blues and reds, is my understanding, because they're, it's, it's a cleaner look. Um, I did, I have noticed in a couple of magazines recently, and it, I mean the magazines that are driven by decorators of, you know, like Architectural Digest and that kind of thing, that there are sort of lusher and richer interiors in them that are more of a mix of the old and the new in styles, and sort of a little bit more going on visually, which I took as an encouraging sign, but I'm looking everywhere for them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I think in general that sort of the cleaner aesthetic, which has been, you know, certainly what, you know, all of my contemporaries go, you know, go towards the mid-century modern furniture without a lot of embellishment. And it's, you know, either out of, you know, interesting wood or it's an interesting color or it has a really pretty leg that is a different aesthetic than an 18th century English beautiful leg. You know, it's, it's a different, it's more of a straight line and it's cleaner looking. I think that taste in decorative art is harder to mix with a 19th century English landscape painting, unless you are creative and do it successfully, <laughs> you know, and it's hard. I mean, I don't think I could mix all these things successfully together. I think it's, you know, it takes a really good eye and someone who's will experiment and is willing to shift things around. And if it doesn't work, they'll put it somewhere else. And it, I mean, it takes a fair amount of skill to do it. So it's, and it, it absolutely works when it works. But not everything can live happily together in a room. Yeah, and, that's, um, that, and I think that that's been one of the driving forces. You know, you buy a mid-century piece of furniture, hanging an English landscape over it just doesn't work. I mean, it, doesn't, it just doesn't look right. And so, uh, you know, now you, you might get by with an impressionist work of art or something like that, but but, but not a good old English landscape, which used to be the, you know, if, if, if you go back and look at um, decorating magazines in the 1970s, even though there were modern interiors creeping in then, there were always antiques that, that anchored those rooms, always, without and, exception. And, and lots of chintz. The English sort of country house <laughs> yeah, but, that, but that has sort of disappeared now. I'm glad, Kelly, to hear that, that it may be reemerging. <laughs> but, but, but I mean... Maybe it's because it's what I like. I don't know, and I look for it. But <laughs> well, basically, you know, in decorator magazines, because that's what people follow. They look at trends, you know. So it's it like really is, yeah. In 1975, uh, Kerman Carpet, was what people wanted, and, and it was all those sort of bland colors that, that were not. But then, and then 10 years later, it was earth tones, harises and serapis. That's what they wanted. And today, uh, you know, a, a serapi that we used to sell for $30,000 may be 7 to 10 now, if we can have a client to buy it. Yeah. You look at a palace size Persian rug, Ron, and there are certain dimensions. I mean, it's what, like 12 by 18, isn't that what the... Yeah, some of them can be that size I mean, bigger. They're, they're, they're huge. Who's got a place big enough? If you live in New York, I don't know. I, I have friends <laughs> there who are all excited about their 450-square-foot apartment. <laughs> so, you know, and I read not long ago that the average apartment size in Japan is like 380 square feet. Mm-hmm. And I won't say all the others, but you get to America, and the average living space in America is around 2,000 square feet. So it was interesting, you, you know, and so maybe you could spread out that time. You could do a, a palace-sized rug wall to wall. Well, you mentioned Japan. Let's let's talk about how the internet has changed the market world in antiques and fine arts. Callie, I know the internet was around when you started. You've you've been in the business now since since you graduated from UVA, but mm-hmm. isn't that playing a a bigger role in how Christie's markets? It's, it's a much larger role. I don't know when it's started exactly, but for a long time now, I mean, I don't know, eight years or something, you've been able to watch, maybe not quite that long, but you've been able to watch auctions streamed online through the Christie's website, but now we have auctions that take place only online. We have our live auctions that are streamed, and you can bid sitting at home just pressing the space bar or whatever to bid. But then we also have auctions that still never 
have a live auction component. They're kind of, you just do subsequent bids as, as if you know, some of the other competitors out there do, where you just have to keep checking back and it, the auction ends at midnight on whatever day. And so there's certain things that are suited to that. And, and Ron, to your point, that's all, you know, that isn't previewed. That isn't up for exhibition. And it, they sell well and they sell internationally. And it's, um, you know, because it still goes through the same vetting process as all of our other sales here at Christie's. The exact same thing. It's just a different format. So that's changed things a lot. And there's been a lot of interest in it. And it, there's been some very expensive things that have been sold through the online auction channel just by people bidding at home. Maybe they've come to see it in person and they don't want to have a phone line set up or they don't want to leave an absentee bid or come to the sale themselves. But there's a real comfort level with bidding online. As long as you have a good internet connection, you know, some very, very expensive things. And Ron, it sounds like you um, do a lot of your sales through online bidding from people in far-flung places rather than just yeah, we, the sale we, room or on the phone. Yeah, for, from my standpoint, you know, what I see, well, you're in New York. So, you know, there you are in the middle of all the international scene of art going on there. Well, if you're in Columbia, South Carolina, it's not quite that easy. But with the Internet, what it did was it brought the international world to Columbia. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, I don't remember the exact statistics, but in our March sale, we did business in 48 countries, which would have been impossible 10 years ago for, for a company our size. It'd just be impossible. We we had a pair of Chinese chairs, for instance, um, a, a sale or two ago that um, had come from a, a consigner uh, over in um, Atlanta who is supposedly an expert on Chinese stuff. And um, they had an estimate they wanted to see on them, and we looked at it, and we, for the first time in my life, I thought the estimate ought to be higher. But they didn't. They didn't agree with that, so we left it as is. And I, I don't remember where it was. Eight to twelve hundred dollars sold for one hundred and fifty thousand dollars <laughs> to a man, a man in England. But the underbidder was Chinese. Ten years ago, that would not have happened because I couldn't have spent enough money to get that information to the man in China that we had the item for sale. Well, I, I would have had to run an ad in, in God knows, I don't know, the Beijing Times or whatever. I, I don't know. We were at that auction, and it kept going up. And, you know, everybody in the audience is just sitting there aghast. <laughs> because, as you said, it started at like eight or $1,200. And, you know, somebody opened it 400 You know, and the next next thing you know, it's in the tens of thousands. Well, that's what the Internet has done. I mean, and it's, it's, it's opened up a whole world of people. To, to to auction companies our size that we wouldn't have had otherwise, and it's made it easy for them to do. We have found, I don't know, in New York, I, I watched a, a sale last night. We won't say what auction house, but I watched a sale online, and they, they made a comment about how the audience w- was fairly robust there which we don't mm-hmm. see now. We see it going the opposite direction. And everybody I talk to, the articles I read in the trades and all of that about what's going on in the auction world, is that audiences, in-house audiences, are, are dwindling. Mm-hmm. Because well, they wouldn't have mentioned it if it wasn't out of the ordinary. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's probably true. And, and we, yeah. we, we see that even in our little auction now. We see that that's mm-hmm. what's occurring. And we have our own clients who have been clients for years who are staying home and bidding online now. Mm-hmm. You know, for a while they went to the phones, but now now they can do it online, and I guess you can sit there and be at a birthday party or, or, or a tennis match and, and sit there with your little iPad or pod or whatever they call those things and and do whatever you want to do. And so you're not harnessed to having to attend a sale to preview it or anything else anymore. Well, the day of spending all, day, all Saturday at an auction, yeah, well, that, that's kind of, and I'm sure Cali, uh, in New York, people's time is important, as it is everywhere, but certainly that's a very busy city and people are running along it. And it's been that way for a while that people, they like to know, you know, your rate of sale, so they if they're going to show up, they can, or if mm-hmm. they just have an interest to bid in any way, shape, or form, they kind of like to know, you know, mm-hmm. what's your rate and how you do that. But we've watched people um, uh, slowly just, Pull away from the sales. I, I remember I used to, uh, Callie. I don't. I don't guess you do auction. You're, you're not an auctioneer yet, are you? No, no. Now, well, for me, when you're the auctioneer and you get on the podium <laughs> and you look out into the audience and there's no one sitting there, well, your heart drops to your shoe, you know, <laughs> and you're wondering, well, what am I going to do now? You know. Well, well today you get. Well, up, you're a good actor. I don't know if I'm a good enough actress. <laughs> yeah, well, today when you get up there and and you see nobody there, your mind said, eh, well, the internet's up and running. We'll be fine. I mean, that's, oh, right, kind of the, right. that's kind of the way you think, you know. And 
County, I don't know if you know, but one of the other auction companies, you know, they've gone on eBay again. You know, eBay used to mm-hmm. be the facilitator yeah. for the live auctions, and mm-hmm. then they got out of it for, for numerous mm-hmm. reasons, but now they're back. And mm-hmm. uh, I've been calling auction companies that I know more our size and asking, well, what's happening? What's going on, you know? And their sale, let's say their sales were 40% on the Internet, or let's say 30 they were 30% of their sales were, were, were happening to Internet bidders. Since this reemergence of eBay into that market, it's jumped to 50%. It's and, I mean, that just, started, I, that just started two months ago. I wish I had thought to actually pull some statistics about it, but whenever I see when – I, but I did not, unfortunately. But whenever I – because we are obviously very invested in the online world because it, it does seem to be the way of the future, and it doesn't seem to be – no one, you know, there's not second guessing of that. I mean, it's happening, and um, the statistics—it is just sale after sale. The percentage sold to an online bidder or under bidder just—it it does not inch up. Sometimes it leaps up, and then it'll inch for a little bit, and then it'll—you know—and it depends on the field. I mean, a lot of the things, as you pointed to, that are um, Chinese works of art. I mean, that's the real global interest at the moment, um, and so a lot of those things are brought online, but also across in every other category: American paintings, carpet, Absolutely. French furniture, 20th century. I mean, it's. It's remarkable because people do find it quite easy to buy that way, and it's sort of astounding. I, I always, I'm, you know, constantly encouraged and surprised by the activity. It's great. Well, I think I think so. people's whole lives, mine's not, but I think most people's lives are geared towards it. I mean, people start talking. If you're in a conversation somewhere, you're going to hear this. I don't care whether you're talking about buying an automobile or ordering out to get something to eat. First thing, that, well, you know, we can do that online. So. <laughs> So now, and I guess in the antique world, yeah, we can do it online. No big deal. You know, you, you don't have to travel. You don't have to do this. And if you, I think it's important for the auction houses to have the trust because we have clients. They believe, they call me. Yeah. They ask questions. We answer them because we, wanted, we, we want those clients back, just like Callie wants her clients back. It's, it's so really she the tells important the truth. thing because yeah. we're standing behind it when we're putting something for sale. And it's legally guaranteed, but it's also, you know, who we are. You know, it's our reputation and as individuals and as a company, and it's um, it's really important. Um, and so that's why the I think that's why the platform of buying and selling online can work well, because and th- it is actually rooted really firmly in the the people and the firms that are doing it. Yeah, I think I think eBay reentered this because they are now associated with with bigger auction houses that they that they can trust, and uh, mm-hmm. and as opposed to what happened in the beginning when when it wasn't quite that way. One part of the economy that has been affected by all of it, not so much the auction houses, is the traditional antique shop is disappearing from the American scene. Somebody having the big old store down on King Street. In, now, they still exist in some places, but I've watched them in Mobile. It used to be a big antique market. It's not anymore. I mean, same, that's, that really happened with rare books and bookstores. I found a very rare book about my hometown Mobile in a little bookseller in England and Wild. bought it. I mean, I couldn't find it anywhere in the States, but I found it. I bought books from Australia. I bought books out of, out of Buenos Aires. That just proves what I said. Yeah. You go to the Internet and look. And I, I, I'm waiting for the day when I get on the podium and the only people out there are the people who work for me. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> no, you haven't had one of those yet. <laughs> no, I think that's sad, though. I think it's sad. I, I, just, I just think it's sad, but I'm old. And so I look at when I, something that was about the reaction of, of the auction world and all. There was a book written called The Social Construction of an Auction, and it talked okay. a lot about Have you ever read that book? And it I, ha- I have not, and I've never heard of it. Well, it's called The Social Construction of an right. Auction, yeah. and, it, and it talks okay. a lot about how what happens, the dynamics that go on uh, in an auction room, and the relationships that are formed very quickly are the ones that dissolve fairly fast, too. So it's, it's an interesting book. <laughs> well, Callie, let's back to you. Where do you think things are trending over the next two to three years? If, if you had an, you know, your latest auction, what were the things that went that maybe surprised you? or? Oh, goodness. If I had a crystal ball, it would be wonderful. Um, <laughs> that's a really hard um, question to answer because they're always surprises. Because we do have... Um, at least for my department, the group that we put together sales, we work very closely with our London and Paris teams. And so there are things that are offered in each sale 
that will do really well in the New York sale in June that kind of falls a little flat in the October sale in Paris. It's, you know, sort of the same thing, that there's no real rhyme or reason. So, and also because we offer so many different types of things, it depends on the mood. I mean, there's a lot of talk right now about Scandinavian mid-century furniture being very hot and that market being hot. Um, I think it's still being tested um, a little bit because there's a lot that's coming to market and it's a new, very clean look. It's kind of what I was thinking in my mind's eye when I was talking about, um, we were talking about the English landscape painting, how it wouldn't necessarily go. But there are lots of different things. I'm Basically, I'm not really going to be able to answer your question and I'm, I'm not going to answer it because I think there's a lot changing mm-hmm. in the market. And I think um, at least with our area, because it's furnishing, but it's also collecting, um, and where that intersects, it's really tied to the real estate and the financial markets to a certain extent in, in the international market. And yeah. I think in general, in the art world at the moment, there's a lot of focus on contemporary fine art, post-war and contemporary art. I mean, Ron said he was watching a sale last night, and I think I know which one he was watching. And then there's a really <laughs> big sale in New York tonight here at Christie's. And um, that's that. where a lot of the, you know, everybody's, eyes are trained there um and it's very different kind of from the rest of the market um because it's it's a different it's not different aesthetic it's a different just ball game completely um and so things that are compatible in the decorative arts area with the mid-century and contemporary um works are i think what's in style and what is desired on a furnishing level um Collector things will always do well, um, and I think it'll be slow and steady um, in terms of that. Yeah, and I, w- I have a question for you, Callie. If do you, do you see in the, like the Chinese market, which we think is a, mm-hmm. a, a, an emerging market, uh, mm-hmm. it seems so fluid, though. And you, you made a comment like something that was hot six weeks ago, then, then one shows up in your office in, in Paris. And it doesn't mm-hmm. do so well. But we've noticed in our little world that things that Chinese people were, jade, for instance, it seems like five years ago, any color of jade was selling very well. Today, that's not mm-hmm. the instance anymore. They don't, you know, they've, they've, white seems now to be, at least in our world, that seems to be the color. And, and the other yeah. stuff that was bringing money doesn't. I th- yeah, and I obviously get most of my news about the Chinese art market from the newspaper, so what everybody else is reading. But my, I was reading something yesterday that made a lot of sense to me, that I think sort of the peak of the recent interest in the Chinese market seemed to be, you know, like three or four years ago or something like that. Um, and I think it's just kind of refined down a little bit. And I think exactly your example about the jade, which I have no personal experience, so I can't really say. But, you know, it was... Every, there was a rush to maybe buy the everybody buying up all the different kinds of jade, and so before they knew what was going to ultimately sort of win out as the desired style, I don't know. Um, I mean, that's what it sounds like. But well, I think you see that in things. You, you, you can't that market to predict what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Not in five years from now, but maybe six months to a year is is not easy. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, what about the lava lamp I had as a graduate student? <laughs> I don't know. If you send me a picture, I'll take a look. <laughs> well. Um, I don't know. I mean, it just, I was, I, I for just, me, I think, and I always tell anyone that I talk to about it, whether it be a buyer or a seller or anybody but meet on the street, is that I think the most important thing about collecting and owning and taking care of um, antiques is that you have to really like it and you have to really want it, and everything else is a French benefit. Um, and whether your interest is because you just like the look of it or you like it because it has a very rich history or it's the one example of the chair that you can find, you know, whatever the reason is, you really just, you got to want it to have it to sit in it or to hang it on your wall or walk on it if it's rug because um, that's the most important thing. And then it keeps its value because <laughs> your sentimental value. So. Yeah, as they say in the ads, that particular value is priceless. Yeah. Ron, Last words from you before we sign off? Well, thank you for having me here, uh, Kelly. It was a pleasure just being yeah. in the same venue with you. And um, <laughs> I, I think that the uh, the auction world is going to be interesting to watch over the next uh, few years to see where it goes. Uh, when the Internet bidding first started, a guy who uh, was selling us on that idea, he said in 10 years there would be nobody in the sales rooms anymore. 
Uh, now, that's been probably close to 10 years ago, and people still show up there. And I think for the foreseeable future, they probably will. But who knows? I mean, maybe it'll be Jetson kind of stuff, you know, in the next 10 years. I don't know. But, but I, I think it's going to continue to change. Well, this has been a fascinating conversation with you both. Uh, Callie, you get, the, you get your last word now. Well, Walter, thank you so much for inviting me. And, and Ron, it was I, sorry I'm not in the studio, and I wish I was, but it's been lovely to speak with you over the phone and sort of compare notes a little bit. But thank you, and it will be interesting to see where it goes. I think it's going to swing back. Okay. All right. Well, Callie Belser on the line from Christie's in New York and Ron Long with me here in the Scanna studios today. Thanks for being with us on Walter Edgar's Journey. Thank you. Thank you. This is Walter Edgar, and I hope you enjoyed today's journal. Not just enjoyed it, but learned something. The price of art, antiques, collectibles has changed dramatically because of the internet. And as Ronald Long and Kelly Belcher both told us, things that we of a certain generation once cherished and thought priceless may not be so. Conversely, some of that mid-20th century modern furniture is now soaring in price. It was fascinating to listen to someone talk about changes in collecting from a New York and international perspective to what's hot and what's not right here in South Carolina. This is Walter Edgar. Join me next week for more of The Journal. Walter Edgar's Journal is a production of South Carolina ETV Radio. The producer and engineer is Alfred Turner. Production of this program is made possible in part by listener contributions to the ETV Endowment of South Carolina. The views and opinions expressed on Walter Edgar's Journal are not necessarily those of South Carolina ETV Radio. Thank you.